I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Fresh episode of Fish Bites for you. It's Eli Sussman joined by a bunch of my Fish Traps colleagues for a Miami Marlins baseball is back roundtable. Our first impressions of the now official 2020 MLB season plan. All this is a plan for now. Crossing our fingers, everything holds up in the midst of a pandemic, a, a broader social justice movement going on across the U.S. and uh, sports hopefully is able to proceed uh, in its funky way under these truly unique circumstances. So we're going to break down how this new season plan impacts the Miami Marlins, changing a typical marathon into a 60-game regular season sprint. A lot of the pertinent season rules and quirks are already covered on the website, fishtraps.com. Go there. Make sure you go there a lot because that's where we have our coverage throughout the season, throughout the offseason, every single day, all things Marlins. And that's where you'll be able to find this pod episode as well. So check out Fish Stripe, some really fun stuff on there. Making his Fish Bites podcast debut. He's done a lot of draft coverage here on the site. Welcome to the pod, Hector Rodriguez. How are you doing? I'm great, Eli. Thank you for bringing me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, and you've, you've heard plenty of this guy um, so far this year. Alex Contreras. How's it going, What's man? Up? What's up, Eli? What's up, Fish Nation? Super excited about the news, about Habit Baseball back. Alex, how you feel? I'm feeling pretty good. I've, uh, you know, been keeping up playing MLB the show a little bit to get my baseball fix in. I've also been, you know, there's like summer collegiate leagues going around in South Florida up in Palm Beach. You know, you, you, can, uh, you can get your baseball fix around if you look hard enough. Absolutely. Korea, Japan, uh, Taiwan. All around the world, getting started ahead of Major League Baseball. And lastly, Ethan Badowski. What's up, man? Good to be on the Fish Bites pod. I don't think I've ever actually appeared on this one, but uh, changing it up a little from the usual prospect talk and uh, just got off a big uh, soccer binge today. I've been on it for a few days, so happy to have baseball back and uh, kind of mix it in with some of the European leagues that I've been watching. And uh, yeah, it's really, really exciting to have the Marlins back. Well, this is going to be somewhat of a crossover because you can't really talk about the 2020 Marlins season without talking about the prospects. We're going to get into that a little bit later, considering 
everybody anticipating that minor league baseball season is going to be canceled. So if you have all these great players that already have success at high levels of the minor leagues and fans are pretty aware that all the guys that were in major leagues from training right on the cusp of breaking through, they're going to have some place to play here in 2020 to continue their developments. And that could expedite their trips to the major leagues. Um, It's, I really don't know exactly where to start with this 2020 season plan. Uh, Understandably, a lot of unique health protocols in place in order to contain COVID-19 as best as possible and um, make sure that any high-risk individuals especially are taken care of, whether they're elderly, having pre-existing conditions. Uh, There's this whole manual out there in the public now, I think 100 pages long, that kind of outlines all this stuff. Uh, Just sticking to what we can actually like put our – minds around the stuff on the field. Uh, uh, probably one of the changes getting the most attention is uh, the, the unprecedented decision to make it a universal designated hitter, bring it to the National League, National League home games for the first time because there's going to be so much interleague this year in order to uh, also um, protect players from themselves given how many games we're trying to cram into a small window. Every game is going to have the designated hitter for the Marlins. The only time in franchise history it's been anything like that. And that's something that's always been really polarizing for every National League fan base. I think as a staff, I suspect that um, we there's more consensus among us than the normal person. But I, I think now's a good time to check that out and to put that theory to the test. Starting with you, Hector, um, any issues at all with the DH coming to the National League and uh, how you think it helps or hurts the Marlins this year? Um, I personally think it's going to help the Marlins um, just simply just getting another bat in the lineup. I think it helps getting getting Jesus Aguilar, moving him around from the DH role to first base. You can get Garrett Cooper to play right field. You can get him to play first base, and that opens up opportunities for maybe some Marlins prospects like Monte Harrison when, you have, when your outfield is full of other pretty good major league players like Jonathan Villar who moved to the outfield and – Corey Dickerson, who the Marlins picked up this offseason. What you what you think, Mr. Contreras? You okay with this? I mean, I second that. Yeah, it opens the doors for guys to play in the DH role. And it opens the door for prospects, guys like Monte. But they also got a battle against guys like Matt Kemp or Matt Joyce. You know, uh, I wish it was, this would have happened any other season in particular. You know, COVID kind of screwed everything up, not just for baseball, for every other sport. But hopefully, you know, it's going to come to a point where the Marlins have to make a couple of tough choices and decide who's going to be part of that 30-man roster. It's going to be a 30-man roster for a certain amount of weeks, then it's going to cut down to 28, then it's going to cut down to 26. So what's going to happen with these guys that are on the bubble? You know, there's a lot of high expectations for a J.J. Play, uh there's a lot of high expectations for our recently drafted uh, Max, you know. So there's a lot of questions that, that are unanswered. But, yeah, there's a lot of excitement surrounding the Miami Marlins. There's, if there's a chance for the Marlins to win a World Series, it's this year. Anything can happen. Who's my late arriving guy who just called in from a 305 area code? Hi, guys. It's Danilo. <laughs> well, perfect. But uh, we'll bring you in cold on here. We were just talking about the designated hitter the first year here in 2020, that there's going to be universal DH, that the Marlins are going to have it on a daily basis. Um, 
how do you feel about that first just embracing the change that's coming to the national league at least for this year but possibly on a permanent basis moving forward uh, how do you feel about that and whether or not you think it's helpful or hurtful for this year um honestly i think it's very beneficial to uh, the marlins there was a point in spring training where people weren't sure if the marlins were going to use Jesus Aguilar at first base or Garrett Cooper at first base or uh, maybe move Garrett Cooper to right or whatnot. But now with the, with the addition of the DH in the National League, I think the Marlins can put forth their best offensive lineup almost every single day. They can have a guy like Jesus Aguilar DH and have Garrett Cooper play first. Or they can have a guy like Jonathan Villar DH and have Ethan play second or whomever play first. Because I think uh, center, I'm sorry, uh, and whoever plays center field, uh, because I think that was still kind of up for debate back in spring training. They had Bjar placing center field, and maybe Lewis Brinson was finally going to get a chance to perform. Um, but seeing as how he hasn't performed up to uh, expectations, he was pretty much on the bubble of making it of of uh, making the big league roster. Absolutely, and Alex Krutchik, Ethan, do you have any? Any protest against the DH, or are we all on board that this is a welcome no. change? No, I've been on board with the DH for a few years now. Coming to the um, <clears throat> coming to the National League, you know, National League ball is fun and everything, but it really just doesn't make a ton of sense to have one league have, you know, the DH and one league not have the DH. Um, but especially this year, it just makes too much sense. Almost, uh, it's gonna. I think it'll benefit the Marlins because, um, you know, like like it was said, it gets an extra, an extra bat in the lineup. But it really is going to kind of like make things confusing. I think there's going to be a huge jumble in the outfield, especially with the added roster spots. Um, you know, I, I, who knows what the Marlins are going to do um, with the four extra roster spots. I mean, you have to imagine, you know, maybe they'll bring some pen arms up or something. But it really opens the door. You know, I think it was Alex who said, like, um, what if we see Blade? You know what I mean. Like the Mar, if we don't have a minor league system, uh, minor league season, the Marlins are going to have to get some of these guys some ABs somehow. So I think, yeah, it kind of opens the door for um, you know. I think Monte was going to be on the opening day roster anyway. Um, you, you know, if, especially if he had a good spring. Um, so I think it kind of opens the door for. Monte and Jazz and some of the headline guys, maybe like Jesus Sanchez, but it could also open the door for some, you know, one of the higher prospects that they just want to get ABs just to come take some ABs at the highest level. Um, but I definitely think it benefits the Marlins from that standpoint. And then also, you know, like it was said, getting Aguilar more at bats, there was a whole cluster of guys that we weren't really sure how we were going to find them at bats. But now I think it'll be a lot easier for Mattingly to do that. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely beneficial for the Marlins. And I think um, when it ends up being permanent in two years, it'll be a good change for the MLB. Yeah, it's the roster like issue that now we've mentioned a couple times how opening day is going to be a 30-man active roster, and then it's going to actually get smaller and smaller from there. It's a total reversal from like what we're used to, right? Because when you're, you're like following a team and you have your eyes, especially on these really talented prospects that are about to break through to the majors, it used to be that, well, later in the season, there's going to be more of an opportunity for this guy as we trade away some veterans. And of course, when rosters expanded 
every year in September. And now it's the total opposite of that, where it starts off bigger than ever and then shrinks. And it used to be that teams would make that case or they would, at least publicly, they'd make the case that, oh, this, this guy just needed a little bit more seasoning. He needed a little bit more experience in the minors before we were going to give him that opportunity. And now that argument, of course, without the minor league season, it, it's kind of a hollow argument because the alternative to playing in major league games is playing in this like an exhibition setting. And the, there's also the issue of the roster getting smaller and smaller. So there's not going to be like more opportunities later in the year than there are early. Early on is is when like if, if guys prove themselves in spring training 2.0, especially ones that were already showing promising signs in the first spring training, like namely Monte Harrison, even Jazz Chisholm, it's, it's going to be hard to hold them back any longer. Uh, I mean, aside from some of the guys that Ethan just mentioned, Hector, are there any other prospects that you're really eager to see this season for the very first time, hopefully at the major league level? I would love to see Cecil Sanchez finally get up to the major league level. That's the guy that, since he's been traded to the Marlins, I've always been very excited about. Some other prospects, um, out of the bullpen, Alex Viesa, I would like to see him. Um, he's he's been impressive the past like almost calendar year, so that's a guy. That, that's another guy that I just want to make the major league roster. It might not be a second pick, but that's definitely a guy that I think can leave an impact in the Marlins bullpen, especially since he's lefty. And you know what? Why not Max Meyer? Let's get let's get him in the bull, let's get him in the bullpen. Let's make him a, a seventh or eighth inning guy. Let's let's have some fun with it. That's something that we mentioned right before we started recording is that Max Meyer, um, of course, a really surprising pick, number three overall in the draft just a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, the Marlins think very, very highly of him, talking him up about how emphasizing how close to Major League Ready he was. Uh, but as as we're recording this, he actually still hasn't officially signed with the team. He hasn't his physical hasn't been fully completed, and they haven't announced anything. So that's that's an interesting wrinkle in this. That he's not even officially on the team. So the turnaround from actually getting him in team facilities and actually getting acclimated to being a pro player, and then all of a sudden pushing him to the majors. I, I, I put the odds on that at like 1%. That way I actually see him, see him in major league games this year. But it's fun just to have someone with that type of potential. Because, I mean, if you look at it in the past, it's been a while since they drafted a pitcher near the very top of the draft that, was out of college and was already so refined. It's really, it's been almost a decade really since they've had a, a guy, a, an arm that seems so ready to really jump right in. And now in these kind of circumstances where it's, you could, you could really squint and see it happening. I personally don't. I'm, I think it's kind of unlikely, but, but we'll see. And um, anybody else, any prospect names you want to throw out here um, that, ones that are going to be denied that opportunity to play their usual minor league baseball and hopefully will like squeeze their way into the major league picture at some point during the season. I actually just want to piggyback off of what you said about Max Meyer and the likelihood that we see him uh, with the Marlins at some point this season. I think it's also very unlikely because you have to uh, consider how many months he's gone without pitching in organized baseball. The, the, his, his college season was cut short. And I'm sure they probably have enough regular training. And then to throw him in to the professional level um, would be r- uh, rushing him and potentially maybe uh, harming him to, 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 to some extent. Uh, but a player that I am very excited that I would like to see uh, would be uh, Lewin Diaz. 
Don Mattingly was talking him up before uh, the cancellation of spring training, and people think of him as the first baseman of the future. And the 1 0. And high in the air, pretty deep to center. Lead the center fielder on the run, on the warning track, looks up, it's gone! Lewin Diaz, a homer in a straightaway center, and Jacksonville leads 1 0 in the fourth. Um, and, you know, because he's missing these at bats, it's going to harm his his overall projection or his uh, estimated time of arrival uh, to, the, to the big league level. And that's someone who I think the Marlins have planned for in the future and someone who I think they should consider giving some at bats. But the Marlins have so many prospects at the higher levels that a lot of guys are going to just have a stagnant year where they weren't able to make the next jump because there was no minor league baseball. And I think that the Marlins are perhaps one of the teams most harmed by the cancellation of minor league baseball. Yeah, I was I was just going to say that, that the Marlins might be the team most harmed by this fact because you had so many guys that had really good year la years last year. <clears throat> you know, you talk about Edward Cabrera and Jazz Chisholm and Connor Scott had a really nice year. And, and some of these guys that had really good years that they were hoping to build on. And then, you know, you have a guy like Osiris Johnson, who we were hoping to see. And and now you just are, you know, we're not going to be able to get to see him. And now this will be Osiris's second straight year not playing baseball. So I think the Marlins are really going to be affected um, by, by this. And I think because of it, they're going to be aggressive in bringing guys up. Um, and yeah, Lewin, you know, they have raved about that guy, um, from all accounts and reports. And so I definitely think we see him get some major league at bats. Um, but I think one guy I'd really love to see, I think I just mentioned him is Edward Cabrera. It would be awesome if we got to see some innings out of Eddie and you get to see what it could possibly be with Sixto and Eddie lighting it up at Marlins park every night. So, um, I think, I think Eddie, and then we'll definitely see Sixto at some point. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the Marlins, like, could they start with a six-man rotation because of the layoff and everything? You know, could you see an extra pitcher come up? So I definitely think we'll see Sixto and Monte. You know, those are the two big ones, I think, at that point, at this point that are major league ready. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, there's plenty of guys I'd love to see. But it's definitely, you know, there's only really – in reality, there's only realistically a handful of guys that are real, uh, you know, possibilities of being at the major league level this year. Well, Ethan, I want to stick with you for a moment longer because it, you're in an interesting circumstance in that aside from being partial to the Marlins, you do have some Cub fandom in you. Is that correct? The Chicago Cubs? Yeah, Cubs and, uh, and Giants as well. I have some love for both of those teams. I bring that up because just a few years ago, the Cubs, for the mm. first time in generations, won the World Series. It was a very mm. big deal. And people are very excited. It was excited. awesome. It was and, pretty great. Yeah. And, you know, this year, this year, somebody is going to mm. win the quote-unquote World Series, hopefully, mm. if the pandemic lays off. And there's going to be some champion of Major League Baseball mm. this year. But if, if you were a Cubs fan and this was the year that they broke their drought in a 60-game season with few or no fans in the stands, with a super late start with with extended rosters, how mm -hmm. how legitimate would that feel? 
And I mean, this is every every one of you can touch on this is how how legit do we feel this season is? How um, because it's so big a departure from what we're accustomed to in terms of what teams need to do to qualify for the playoffs and make it through. Um, how, how does that affect the way that we take this season seriously? I really kind of think it's overblown in terms of it being an illegitimate season, right? Because this, the good teams are still good. You know what I mean? Like the Dodgers are still going to win a bunch of games and the Yankees are still going to win a bunch of games and the Astros are going to get plunked, but they're still going to win a bunch of games. And, <laughs> and so at the end of the day, you're still, the best teams are still going to be the best teams. And then the Orioles and the Tigers and the Royals and, you know, those guys are still going to be the teams that struggle and end up at the top of the draft next year. So I, I think from a record standpoint, it's going to be pretty legitimate. Like you're going to see the best teams come out on top. And at the end of the day, even in, a, in, a, in, in an extended play, uh, an expanded playoff, um, you know, the, the Marlins aren't going to beat the Dodgers in a five game series. They're not going to beat them in a three-game series. They're not going to beat them in a seven-game series for sure. So I still think even when the playoffs are expanded, you know, you'll get down to what would be the NLDS and it'll still be, it'll still look like maybe with an exception, you know, it'll still look like Braves, Cubs, Dodgers, and, um, you know, like Milwaukee or somebody, you know, uh, who, who am I missing? So, um, Maybe not Milwaukee, but maybe like St. Louis or somebody. So I think from that standpoint, it's going to be pretty legit. But, you know, you're going to have a guy that's going to hit 400 this year, right? I mean, there are guys that have hit into, you know, or 60 games into the season. That's around, you know, May or June, I think. And they're carrying averages up near up near 400. So I think the stats are going to be, you know, off the charts. I mean, you're going to see some really inflated averages. Um, but I think at the end of the day, whoever wins, they got through all of this. You know what I mean? They were the team that battled through. They stuck together. And at the end, they came out on top. So if anything, I think it's going to be really impressive when a team wins the World Series and comes out on top because they're going to say, we're the team that battled through this and we're the team that came together and and did it. And maybe it's just the team that stays the healthiest. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. But I still think you have to, at the end of the day, say they're the champions. They deserved it and, and go on to next year. I think that the regular season will be pretty fluky. But whoever gets in, and also just for the record, I believe there's no expanded playoffs this year, correct? I think that the players decline that. Right. Ten, game, ten playoff teams just like the past handful of years. Okay. Yeah, I think that it's possible that you find some fluky teams get in. Um, I found a stat. Um, well, it wasn't a stat as much as just looking at the standings. This was back when we were talking about an 80 to 85 game schedule. Uh, last year, back in 2019, seven of the 10 eventual playoff teams were playoff teams at the end of 80 games. Of course, after 60 games, that playoff picture might look a lot different. But yes, after 60 games, you're going to have some weird teams make the playoffs and you're going to have some weird teams miss the playoffs. But as soon as the playoffs start, it's all going to be the same exact format. So therefore, when you have, you know, the Dodgers playing, maybe let's just say the Pirates. I don't think they're actually going to make it even with a 60-game schedule, but let's just say they do. The Dodgers are going to beat the Pirates because the playoffs are still the same. Now, I will admit that I think that based on whether we should put an asterisk 
at the end of this World Series or not, I think is going to depend entirely. And I'm not saying this is right, but I think that a lot of people are going to say, well, if a favorite was going to win, like the Yankees or the Dodgers, a team that's supposed to win, will crown them as they're supposed to. But if a weird team like the Rockies or the Rays wind up winning, then I think people will start to look at this as illegitimate. That's that's the thing is playing the results. That's going to be part of this, no doubt. Like once we get to the end of this, um, the the points you both of you have made are really valid. But if we do get to the end of this, and the ultimate champion is someone that nobody could imagine coming to, to this point, then the, that's going to just undo so much of the credibility. I think is just people holding on to these preconceived notions of what a champion is supposed to look like, and this is a pretty uh, pretty easy excuse for the general public to build yeah. into especially if you're a fan of one of these teams that is going all in this year, like the Dodgers or Yankee fan or even Atlanta Braves. And if your team, for whatever reason, doesn't even make it into October and yet the champion tends to be this team that almost everyone can agree had inferior talent and experience. And uh, you're just too bitter to actually, um, to actually accept, uh, you know, the specific details that made it possible people are just going to hold on to those notions. And if, if it's a big enough pot, like portion of the entire major league baseball fan base that kind of rejects the legitimacy of the champion, then I do wonder like how that will be viewed going down the road, because that's always the weird thing is um, the perceptions that we have and the opinions that we have in the time and how some of that stuff just gets thrown out the window. Right. When you look at it mm-hmm. uh, far into the future, because there've been short seasons in the past um, what, 1981, uh, 1995 was slightly shortened as well. And uh, it's, it's hard for any of us to have a perspective of like how fans felt in that moment. But we look back at it at, at this moment and we just see World Series champions from those years in, in the same way that had been before and afterwards. And Yeah, I think, uh, sorry, I think after a while, the stigma around it will kind of drop you know what I mean? And I'll just kind of be, okay, that's, you know, that's how it was that year. And, and, and I think, like you said, you know, we look back on the strike shortened season and we say, okay, maybe the Expos should have won that year. You know what I mean? And kind of like crowned them. So I think the circumstances will be weird and there'll certainly, you know, especially if some weird team wins, you know, there'll be, you can't avoid the, the controversy of it, but I think, yeah, I think eventually, you know, people will just kind of give it up you know, it's going to be a champion. And and I think a lot of people at the same time, if a weird team like the Marlins win would be like, well, holy shit, you know, like that's awesome. I mean, maybe for us, it'll be awesome, but even if it's like a random ass team. So um, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting, Eli, you know, there's, it's, it's a really interesting discussion. And and Um, also I'd, I'd like to just point out, sorry, I'd like to point out that I don't know if you guys are college baseball fans, the college baseball season lasts 56 games, and then they have a tournament that could last anywhere between 10 to maybe 15 games, I think. And no one ever thinks to say that this season's too short. I mean, at the end point. of a college baseball season, nobody thinks, well, should we really crown these guys champions? I only played 56 games. I think well, that, I mean, they're not getting paid. Um, they're college kids. It's like a lower-level minor league type of ball. What do you expect from him? I think he's just kind of saying the example of, a, you know, they play X amount of games and they're still crowned the champion. Um, 
I, I mean, whoever wins this year is, in my opinion, a legitimate champion. You, you, you can think back to the 2012 NBA shortened season and the Heat won, and no one thought twice about, you know, oh, the Heat won, but they have an asterisk. Um, I think whoever is a champion ultimately is a true World Series champion. Um, I will put an asterisk on stats like if someone hits 400 um, this year, I think that 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 should carry an asterisk because they did it across 60 games instead of 100-something games. Um, but I do think that having a 60-game season is, is very much a sprint and anything can happen. And we've all heard the narrative uh, 50 games into the season last year um, the the Nationals found, found themselves 12 and 38, and they ended up winning. Um, we can have a story where maybe the Dodgers start off in a very bad spot, and they go 12 and 38, and they find themselves out, or the Yankees, or whomever. And I think because this season is so short, maybe players try that much harder. Maybe um, managers throw all precautions and safety out the window because they want to win, and they put their best lineup or or they put their or they leave their best pitchers on the mound for as long as they can to secure a win and I wouldn't be surprised if an obscure team manages to win the World Series because baseball is a game of streaks if you stay hot for a good while you keep that riding into the postseason and you know all is said and done I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is The Deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Right. So does somebody yo, does does it have the same amount of of weight to the record if somebody ties or somebody hits gets a hit for sixty games in a row and they come in at DiMaggio, will they will they have the same amount of weight next season if that player has sixty hits and coming into next season he has he's coming into game one opening day he's got sixty game hit streak. Will it have the same amount of weight for every major league baseball season as it does for you and me? I think it'd be more impressive if someone broke broke the module streak because that means they got on base every single game except yeah. two or three. <laughs> like that'd be incredibly impressive. I, I, I guess we could all acknowledge that yeah, there's going to be some very fluky stuff happening both the individual level and at the team level this year. Uh, as far as um, if we're going to defer to the professional sports books and the kind of odds they put on the Marlins actually pulling off a Cinderella story, they're pretty extreme. Um, you, you can make a lot of money by putting a dollar on them to win the World Series right now. They're one of the long shots, I believe the longest odds in the National League and um, one of the three or four um, most unlikely World Series champs across the league right now, like a couple thousand to one odds, but it's possible. And um, assuming they don't get there, though, I don't think that's the threshold that anybody is holding this team to this year. I mean, coming off uh, the second year of their rebuild in 2019, and uh, even though you look at this roster and the organization as a whole and you see so much potential to improve at the major league level this year and be semi-competitive, um, I, I guess I want to get your guys' take on what should be a, a successful season for the Marlins. What would 
we'd be looking at now that there's there's really not that much to gauge it on, right? If we're not going to have any official minor league stats going on, and if we have such a short season that could limit the total number of players that get involved during the course of a major league season, there's only going to be so much to judge it on. But what are some, whether it's like a certain number that you're looking at in terms of their, their win total or um, just individual accomplishments that would make it feel like a satisfying <clears throat> season. Like if, if you're looking at this and you want to feel, what are the kind of accomplishments you want to see from this team in order to still feel confident that they're heading in the direction of being like a sustainable contender? I so, think uh, this oh, season ahead. is all about individual stats. If a guy like Ethan can hit 260, 270 this season, then that's progress. Uh, we have to throw wins and losses out the window for a team like the Marlins because it's, it's not about wins and losses for them. If a guy like Lewis Brinson remains hot the whole season and makes that next jump, or if Monte stays healthy and makes the major league roster and plays a full year and hits like 240, 250, I think those are good numbers to base a rebuild, the, the, the uh, rebuild off of because we're seeing these players that the Marlins acquired perform at a top level and, well, and uh, perform well, realistically. I mean, this is a short season, and this is an opportunity for guys like Lewis Brinson to come up and seize the opportunity. Maybe the Marlins are lucky enough to see a Lewis Brinson come out and have a great short MLB season, okay, because he's had great spring training numbers. Maybe he'll go out and have a great quarantine season, and the Marlins will be able to flip him so we can get something to help us in the future. That's our best hope. I do yeah, agree I that just... individual stats are – sorry – I, that individual stats are more important this year, not only because of the pandemic and the weird rules going around, but also because you're in a rebuild still. Now, I do think that you're starting to enter the territory where wins and losses are starting to kind of matter. Mm-hmm. It's year three. If you want to look at like the Astros rebuild, I think they won 50-something games for the first three years of their rebuild. So I'd like to at least get into the 60s this year are on pace for 60 wins in a normal season, which would equate to about 25, 26 wins this year. Again, uh, you're right that it would be nice to see Lewis Brinson, Brian Anderson, uh, you know, Caleb Smith, all those guys do well this year. I do also think that let's not lie to ourselves. If the Marlins wind up winning just 15, 16 games this year, that's going to be really disappointing. Well, I mean, you can't compare Caleb Smith and Brian Anderson to uh, Lewis Brinson with all due respect. Dr. K is on, uh, he's, he's one of the leaders in strikeouts. And Brian Anderson, if it weren't for that injury he got, he was on pace and had all-star caliber numbers. So I think this is going to be a key year for uh, Brian Anderson right. to turn it up and yep. show that he's a player, he's a, an established major league player. Caleb Smith, this is a year for him to show that he's proven and he's ready to take over for any other major league team ready to dish out prospects to the Marlins. There so. you go. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I, I just there's a couple of things I want to touch on. First, first is what Alex just talked about with BA. Um, he had such a good year last year that I'd really like to see him like stay really hot, just have, you know, just tear the cover off the ball in 60 games. Uh, I think that would be huge for the Marlins, especially because I think everybody knows that this is kind of the year where we either uh, extend him or start looking in another direction at third base. Um, so <clears throat> I I would personally love, love to see, sorry, 
uh, B.A. have a huge year. And then, yeah, like, you know, Caleb rack up some strikeouts and there is going to be a trade deadline. So there's going to be trades made and somebody's going to be looking to acquire starting pitching at the deadline. And the Marlins have so much starting pitching right now that, um, yeah, it would be cool if Caleb could, you know, put up some big numbers like he did last year and and flip him. Um, but I definitely think that we got to look at the individual performances and just see that as much as we can, that guys are developing. I don't want to see Isan hit 190 or whatever he hit last year. I want to see him hit the ball hard, you know, put the ball in play and get on base a little a little more. So I think that um, that's a huge part of it is just seeing how guys perform and staying hot for 60 games. Um, and then, you know, like uh, like Alex K was saying was that, um, you know, wins kind of matter now. Um, I think we all wanted to see the Marlins win some ball games this year. They put together a roster that was capable of winning some ball games. You know, I said the expectation um, coming into this season should reasonably be 70 wins. And I was, you know, committed to that with guys like Corey Dickerson and some of the help they're going to get from the minor leagues and BA having a really good year and Alfaro looking to break out. And, you know, I think that's, you know, that was a legitimate expectation. And when you kind of do the math and do the proportion, that would be about 25, 26 games. So, yeah, I'd like to see the Marlins win some ball games. I don't want to see them kind of slop their, you know, drag their way through the year and just kind of, you know, go through the motions and play baseball. I want to see them be competitive, you know, fight for some games and win some games. So I think around 25, 26 wins is a good, if you see that, that's a nice year for the Marlins, and especially if you see some good individual performances. Um, I think that's something promising to build on and to at least take something out of this year because, like you said, Eli, with the minor league season gone, it's going to be really hard um, for a, a re- team that's rebuilding to get anything out of this season. So, you know, find a way to take something out of it and look forward to 2021. Um, because you got 60 games to do it. So I think that's all the Marlins could do right now. Yeah, I think the best case scenario, I think the best case scenario is that these veterans are on the cusp of showing if they got something left in the tank or not, that they get cut loose and the Marlins make the smart move and give the opportunity to the the top prospects, that these prospects come out, show what they're worth, show, show, give them the time to blossom, to develop, and that's going to help us in the long run. I, I just wanted to pull up a, a few numbers for you guys of interest uh, with this 60-game season. Um, a couple of you guys, of course, talked about Caleb Smith and how well he pitched early last year and the promise that he showed. If last year was a 60-game season, Caleb would have gotten some Cy Young votes. He was that <laughs> good early in the year during that like first 60-game stretch of the major league season last year before he got kind of derailed by a hip injury. Uh, Brian Anderson, uh, as Ethan correctly noted, he had a really encouraging year last year for a lot of power later on, but all that came like in the second half of the season, you look at his 60 games of the season and he really wasn't like driving the ball as well as he could. And there was, I do remember like some concern about him at that point when he was, when the first impression of him from that first couple months of the season didn't show that improvement right away. And that's the kind of volatility you're going to get with this is because it is such a a small segment of the sample size we usually look towards. And I kind of wonder like how that affects the decision-making that the team makes. Like if you see 
normally you have a, a young player like uh, let's use Isan Diaz, for example, and he struggled a lot his first month in the majors. And then towards the end of the year, he wasn't quite playing every day. They would sit him a little bit against left-handers because he was struggling so much. He struggled over like a, a 25, 30 game stretch. But now if you shrink the season more, like how much quicker do they have to make those lineup decisions to mm-hmm. diagnose when somebody is slumping and to like make an adjustment? There's uh, it depends, of course, like what the focus is on, like whether the organization is really dead set on on being competitive or whether they, they really punt this season to make sure to prioritize all the young guys. The reality is probably going to be somewhere in between, you know, based on a case by case basis. But it's yeah, it's totally unprecedented. And like the wild card in this, of course, is, is COVID-19. I think we, we can't really stop this podcast without acknowledging that Florida is a bit of a nightmare right now in terms of the cases and how all the, all the demographics that are catching this and um, unfortunately those that are passing away from it, which makes it really complicated because the Marlins are dead set on playing games in their home ballpark, and that's what the league is trying to do. And I believe we mentioned this off air, the, the report coming out from radio host Andy Slater tonight about the possibility of the Marlins considering putting together some sort of proposal in order to actually bring fans into the stadium in limited numbers at some point in July. Uh, it seems like an extreme long shot, but the fact that um, the whole response to the pandemic, especially here in Florida, is so you know disorganized, that's uh, – that could re- like adversely affect teams like the Marlins just because that's where all these guys are based in. And uh, even if they take every precaution necessary to try to keep themselves safe, uh, it's it's currently an environment that uh, other people surrounding the players aren't necessarily abiding by all that. And that could lead to a lot of unintended consequences and potentially hurt them more than other teams. But Sorry, Eli, just one thing that you know you said is you don't really know whether the Marlins are – going to try and be competitive or kind of punt the season. I think one thing that the new uh, regime has shown is that they're going to go for it. You know what I mean? They're not going to, they're not going to go for it. Like the Yankees are going to go for it, but I think the, they're going to put, try and put a winning product out on the field and they're going to try and get this team to go hard and win as many ball games as they can. Um, and so I think Marlins fans should be really excited because first of all, baseball, um, you know, how can that you not get excited for that? And I think the Marlins are going to do what they can to have a really nice year and put on a show for the fans, um, you know, that are staying home to support them. And um, I just think that it, it, it's a really it's been an exciting time to be a Marlins fan. And this puts a little bit of a hindrance on how excited we can be. But it's still really exciting. And I think that um, everybody's just got to get behind the team and 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 look forward to, um, you know, watching them this year and hopefully put putting out getting some exciting moments drag like i said dragging what we can out of this season and um it, it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a sprint and it's 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 baseball and so it'll be wacky but i'm excited it's gonna be a tough schedule that's the interesting wrinkle in this is that it's an unbalanced schedule playing 40 of the 60 games inside the division so it's all the challenges they've had against the braves and the nationals the past couple of years um, they're going to dominate the Phillies. I mean, that's the only thing you know about the Marlins is they're going to dominate the Phillies and drive those people crazy. That's been happening the last couple of years. But outside of that, some challenging teams, all the interleague games would be against the American League East. Got to go through the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays, of course. Um, 
also the Orioles and the Blue Jays. So, so we'll see. But depending on how you look at it, arguably the most difficult strength of schedule in baseball um, with, of course, the, the caveat that we don't know exactly who's going to be healthy and um, how all this is going to happen. Some final notes. Trade deadline is going to be at the end of August, August 31st. That's going to be after probably 34, 35 games. Isn't that crazy? You got to decide in like 30, in a, barely a month's time, whether you're a contender or a pretender. Um, and I imagine it's not going to be a super active deadline. People aren't going to be like signing up and over eager to like hop on a plane and meet a new team and get acclimated to like a totally new environment with all the uncertainty going on. But it's still another variable that you got to account for. It's especially it, interesting because uh, states are starting to put in uh, mandatory two-week quarantines if you're going from a certain state to another certain state. Like it would be interesting to see if the Marlins traded a guy to New York, would he have to sit out for two weeks? Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that you hit it. You hit the nail or the hammer on the nail, man. You killed it. I was just about to hit that point. But absolutely, I mean. What's going to happen? 30 games? This is an opportunity for, for, for us as Marlins fans. We're praying for Jose Reina to have a great season, you know, and other players that we've mentioned before so that we can flip them. But, I mean, looking at the at the Marlins lineup and the players that we have, man, we got an Alfaro. We got Cooper, Anderson, Dickerson, Villar, Rojas, Diaz, Ramirez, Monte. We got Lewin on the bench. We got Sixto ready to pitch. Like, th- these are opportunities that are going to happen. And not only that, there's going to be some players, uh, but the breaking news today was Charlie Blackman tested positive for COVID-19. We don't know if any Marlin player on the current roster is going to test positive for it. And if that does happen, who's that going to open the door for? Uh, This is an opportunity that these young prospects have to be ready to seize the opportunity. And it it all gets started just one week from right now, recording this on Wednesday night. And next Wednesday, July 1st, is going to be the, the final reporting date for everybody to get in the camp could be, it's going to be like spring training all over again. They could bring it up to 60 players, which is kind of what the group looked like heading into our normal spring training. And uh, it's, it's going to be accelerated for sure. Like in ways that we've never seen before. It's only about three weeks between that final report date and uh, when things actually got to get going for real on opening day. And I mean, another complicating factor is that as we're speaking right now, they still don't have the specific schedule. You don't know how these series are going to be divided up, uh, when they're going to be traveling where and when, and like how the cumulative effect of certain road trips could hit them. But it's it's going to be unlike anything we've ever been before. Uh, another side note that I like is that because you're only playing other teams in, on the East Coast, early start times, you got really convenient stuff happening. No late night with the fish. Everything is going to end at a reasonable hour, weather permitting. That that's going to be a nice wrinkle in all this, and it's it's really impossible to like encapsulate all these variables in a single podcast. So uh, we're going to cut it off right there. We're not even going to try to. We're going to be back um, constantly throughout the rest of this spring training tune-up, summer training, spring training 2.0, whatever you want to call it. We're going to have an extensive preview of what this 2020 season is going to be. We're going to bring on. You guys, plenty of other times leading up to that. Finally, hooking up with some players. That's something we've been missing is our player interviews, but I'm sure we're going to get cooperation from the team to bring players on the pod as well. And we're just going to roll with this as new information comes in now less than one month away, hopefully, from the opening of the 2020 season. For Hector Rodriguez, 
Danilo Santos, Alex Contreras, Alex Krutchik, Ethan Badesky, um, Eli Sussman, go fish. Mm-hmm.